Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. All right. Good morning, everyone. In honor of my grandfather's 93rd birthday this week. I decided to open up this service with a a story about how he invested into my life as a kid. We were up at my cottage, and they they had a cottage in Oscoda growing up, and I remember Grandpa wanted to take my brother and I on a fishing excursion. And he said, you guys, you guys all leave. He told my parents, my grandma, you guys go golf and you guys go enjoy yourself. I'm going to take the boys and we're going to go fishing. And not only are we going to go fishing, but we're going to catch dinner. We're going to catch dinner. I'm going to teach these boys how to gut the fish. We're going to prepare it and we're going to cook you a fish dinner that we caught together. So my brother and I, we were super excited about this. I mean, this was going to be a fantastic experience. So we set out in the morning. We got in our speedboat. We packed up all the fishing gear, the tackle boxes, the worms. And we headed out on Cedar Lake. And we were at a perfect fishing spot. So we thought. So we decided to cast our fishing rods. And I remember I, I did it just as my grandpa had taught me to do. And, and you got to understand something about Pops. He's very meticulous. So you don't just put the worm on the hook like kind of unorganized. No, that worm has a specific way. It goes on that hook so that it never comes off unless a fish bites it. It's brilliant. So we did that, put it on there, and then I take my fishing rod and I go to cast it and it gets stuck. And so I'm trying to cast this thing, but it's stuck. And then I hear my brother Tony scream. I had caught him with the hook right in his back. And I'm trying to get this thing loose. He's screaming and Pops is like, drop, just drop the fishing pole. So I dropped it right in the water. He said, not in the water. So I try to get it. He's holding me with one hand, trying to get the hook out of my brother's back with the other. Finally, it was okay. He got everybody calmed down, disaster averted, and we began to fish properly this time. Well, for the first hour, we did not catch a fish, not one. When you have two young boys, I think we were both under 10, you know, this can be a little frustrating. But he kept our morale up, he kept us going strong, so we found another fishing location. And this time, when we began to fish, we began to catch one fish after the other. I mean, good-sized fish, fish that we could take home and actually cook and make dinner. And we were so excited. We were catching these fish one after the next, after the next. He's teaching us how to take them off the hook. We're putting them in a fish basket that looks like this. We're putting them in this fish basket, and it's, it's hanging out of the boat in the water, and we just keep putting these fish in. Soon enough, we had enough fish for all six of us to eat dinner. So Pop said, successful fishing trip, guys. Let's get ready to go. And so he goes to start the boat. The boat won't start. The boat will not start. It refuses to start. 
No boats in the area, no boats coming by. So he does what he does. He gets some tools and he heads back for the motor of the boat. And, uh, you know, he's going in there and first thing he does is hit his head right on the side of the boat. That's okay. He's working on that motor 20, 30 minutes in. A few injuries later, maybe a few choice words later. He, we got that motor fixed. But it was so funny when he stood up, he looked like he had just been to battle. He had this thing tied around his head. He's bleeding from the head. Both knees are bleeding. And, but we had dinner. So he goes, okay, let's head in. So he gets in the boat. We head back to shore. We dock the boat. And he looks to us. He goes, okay, guys, grab the fish. Let's go. And we look back and you see that fish basket was not tied down properly by my brother and I. We had not done it the way we were taught to do it. And as we took off to make our way to shore, the fish went away. Someday, even today, they're at the bottom of that lake in that basket. Maybe just bones now, but they're there. So we come in, and my parents are getting back, my grandma's getting back from golf, and they look at us, walk in, Pops has this band around his head, bleeding, both knees, and they're like, what happened? And Pop says, it was a disaster. (laughs) But Pops, I'm glad it didn't go any other way. That was so much fun, and it's a great story to tell. Way better than gutting and cooking all those fish. The Bible mentions fish throughout the entire thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it it tends to be a theme throughout the Bible. In fact, people even worshipped fish. Moses had to tell the people in the desert, don't worship the fish. Don't buy into that. Because the Philistines had a god called Dagoon, and that was the fish god. And, And they would literally worship fish. And so fish are mentioned as something of a priority or special throughout the Bible. There's significance when it comes to fish. Jonah was swallowed in the belly of a fish, a great fish. You know, that's the thing is fish is mentioned throughout the entire Bible. In fact, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Amos, Zephaniah, they all use fish imagery to talk about, to communicate God's heart to his people. In Ezekiel, he describes a great abundance of fish from an unlikely source where the water from Jerusalem meets the Dead Sea. There's a prophecy where Ezekiel, he prophesies that there will be a day where fish will come from an unlikely source where Jerusalem and the Dead Sea meet. Now, when he wrote that, Nothing lived in the Dead Sea. That's why they called it the Dead Sea. Nothing could survive in there. But years and years and years later, all of a sudden that began to change. When the temple was rebuilt and the fresh water was flowing from the temple into the Dead Sea, it created an environment of abundance. And come to find out when fresh water meets salt water, The level of salinity changes 
and creates a place where fish can gather and thrive. So Ezekiel's prophecy was twofold. Not only will life come from where, where a place of death, but Jerusalem will retake its place of power and it would be come to life again. So fish are pretty significant. In fact, in Jerusalem, there's a gate called the Fish Gate. It's the, it's the famed entrance into Jerusalem. I don't know if you are familiar with Pike Place in Seattle, that big fish market where they're throwing the fish and they're catching it all the time. This is what first happened in Jerusalem, right here. And six days a week, fishermen would come and they would sell their catches from the day or the night before the, the, the fish that they caught from the Mediterranean Sea, the fish that they caught from the Sea of Galilee, they would sell it there at the market. And right there, the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus decided to start his earthly ministry. So it's very significant, the prophecies, the fish, everything that has to do with this market in Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee, and, and that being where Jesus decides to start his earthly ministry. And not only that, but who did he call? He called fishermen. So all of this is pretty significant in the grand scheme of things. And I want to read a story found in Luke chapter uh, 5, verse 1. And it's about the calling of the first disciples. So let's read this together this morning. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. A pretty incredible story about fish and fishermen. And the fishermen back in the day, they did not have access to modern day see-through synthetic netting to catch fish like people do today. They used cotton-based fibers for net making. And the white strands were easily detectable to the fish in the daylight hours, so they always went to venture out at night. This was their custom. They would go out and they would fish. And when you were a fisherman, 
It didn't matter how many hours you worked. You didn't get paid by the hour. You got paid by the amount of fish you caught and the amount you could bring back to the market and sell. And so these guys were out fishing all night long with no success. I'm sure this wasn't the first time they had gone out all night long with no success. So they come back to the sea, sure, disappointed, discouraged, wondering how they're going to pay their bills, how they're going to feed their families, worried about the future. And they get back, and and you got to understand something, when the fishing day was over, like when they were done fishing, they didn't just get to go home. They had to now wash all of the nets. And that was a process. They had to wash them and mend them and dry the nets to prevent mildew. Then they wrapped them in sheltering cloth to prevent sun damage. This was a whole nother process. And so the boats were empty, and it says the disciples were washing their nets when Jesus told Peter, hey, let's go back. Put me in a boat so I can turn your boat into a pulpit so I can preach to some people. So Peter does that. Jesus gets back in the boat and he's preaching. I just got to imagine Peter is tired. Been up all night. Some of you, maybe you're sitting here and you worked a a late shift and you're here and you're tired. It's hard for you to keep your eyes open, but you're here. I can only imagine That's what Peter's like, can you wrap this thing up a little bit? I'm tired. I want to just go home and go to bed. So Jesus, when he finishes his sermon, he tells Peter, let's go out for one more catch. I can just imagine Peter. Can you imagine like him rolling his eyes? It's the middle of the day. We don't fish when it's light out. The fish will see our nets. We were out there. We, let us do the fishing. You do the teaching. Like, like, we know what we're doing. We've been doing this as a trade our whole lives. We just cleaned all of our nets. But if you tell me to, I'll do it. So they go out. They cast the nets over. And they catch all these fish. So many fish. They have to call in. James and John to come help with the other boat. And immediately Peter recognizes that this is a miracle. There's no way he could catch this many fish without it being a miracle. He was just out there. But now he has a choice to make. This is the most lucrative catch of his life. This is a catch that fishermen would dream of where they caught so many fish that they could make a month, two months, three months worth of wages and maybe upgrade to a better fishing net or a better fishing boat and keep making more, maybe hire some more people to clean their nets so they didn't have to do it. This was their dream catch. And the Bible says as soon as they got to shore, they left it there and to follow him. I always wondered who got that catch. <laughs> who ended up scooping that up and taking it to market? Because they didn't. And I believe the reason they left everything that day right there 
was because they knew no, no amount of fish, no amount of fishing success, no amount of money could bring the fulfillment than following this guy around. Than being in the presence of Jesus every single day. To coming to know him, becoming a follower of him. Nothing would compare to that. And they left everything to follow him. Pretty amazing story. I love it because nothing good ever happened to fishermen. When you read scripture, nothing good happened to them. I can just imagine these fishermen in the middle of the night crying out to God, God, where are you? Can you bring at least a fish? At least I could feed my family for the day. God, I got bills. I got taxes to pay. I got all this stuff I got to do and not one fish. I'm doing it. I'm following your law, the way that you said to do life. I'm getting up. I'm doing the work. And you can't bring me one fish. How many nights did they cry out to God to see him move? Lord, would you help us here with silence in the dark of the night, wondering if this was what their life was going to be forever. Poor, sick, unable to take care of the ones they love. Can you imagine that? But what I love, what I absolutely love about this story is Jesus takes what they had, fishing boats and fishing nets, and he turns them into ministry tools. Uses the boat as a floating uh, pulpit. He takes the boat out for ministry purposes later on, we see. He takes what they have and he multiplies it. And he uses what they had to perform a miracle. Sometimes I think we believe we got to have what other people have in order for God to use us. If only I had those parents. If only I had that life. If only I was this way or that job. But no, God wants to use us right where we are in our day-to-day situation, our gifts, our talents, our stuff. He wants to use it for his glory if we'll let him. See, this move of God, this miracle didn't happen in a church building. In fact, that was the, the beauty of this story. Is usually all the powerful things, moves of God happen in the temple. They happen to the priests. They happen to the Pharisees. But this move of God happened in the Sea of Galilee on a fishing boat, in their day-to-day life. That's what God wants to do, church. He doesn't want to do all the miracles right here with just the pastors. 
He wants to do something in your life. He wants to take you as a follower of Christ into your day-to-day, into your world, and he wants to come through for you. That thing you've been believing him for, that thing you've been holding on to, he wants to come through for you, and he wants to use you where you're at with your gifts, your talents, your stuff to bring glory to his name. Doesn't have to just happen right here in this building. In fact, the greatest moves of God that we see in the Bible didn't happen in a building. They happened in people's day-to-day lives, in people's homes, that were willing to open them up for the kingdom of God. So the disciples, they leave to follow Christ. They leave everything. Big risk, but they leave it all. And Jesus says, I'll provide for you. So they followed Jesus around, and the Bible says they saw so many miracles, so many moves of God, so many things happen that you can't even write them all down in a book. That was powerful. But then something happens. Jesus gets arrested, and he gets crucified, and he dies. Now, can you imagine these disciples, what they're thinking? We left everything. He called us to leave everything behind and said he's got a new life where he was going to provide. He was going to show us all these things. We trusted that. Now, what are we left with? Now we're abandoned. Now we lost three years of fishing experience. And what are we going to do now? They were feeling hurt. They were feeling alone, and they were feeling abandoned. And so what they did, they went back to fishing. John 21, I want to read a portion of scripture with you here in John 21, 1 through 11. This is, this is incredible when you look at this in the context we're talking about it this morning. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Isn't that what we do when we're in pain, when we're grieving? We want comfort and we want control. These are the two things we go to When we're hurting, comfort and control, anything to get us out of the pain, anything, any type of control we can get our hands on. This is what Peter does. Then the rest of the fishermen disciples say, we'll come too. So they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Sound familiar? At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. This is a risen Jesus. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic jumped in the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards away. 
When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet it hadn't torn. This is pretty significant. So Jesus died on the cross, and now he's risen, and he's appearing to these disciples. And the Bible once again says they've been fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing. These guys might not have been the best fishermen after all. I'm not sure. (laughs) But then he instructs them to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And once again, it overflows with fish. 153 large fish, the Bible says. I believe this is significant. I really do. I believe it's significant because I believe Jesus was saying, here's your startup money to go back to fishing. Here it is. 153 large fish. That'll get you going. You want to go back to your old life? There it is right there. You have a choice to make again. Do you want that? Do you want to go back or do you want to go forward? And he reinstates the disciples right there in that moment. It's interesting because the first story we read, the first miraculous catch was a call to the disciples to follow Jesus. It was a call. He ushered them into his presence with that catch. But the second catch was an invitation to an unchartered adventure full of faith with Christ. Two catches here in the Bible, two stories that happened the same exact way. Two choices, two times the disciples had to make a choice. Do I go back to my old life? Do I doubt God is real? Do I doubt God wants to do something miraculous or special in my life? Do I just go after the world's way of living? Do I just try to do what I've always done? Or do I really put all of my faith, all of my trust in Jesus to follow him? Two choices. Church, that's what it comes down to for you and I. This life, this last couple years has been hard. There's been some dark nights out on the fishing lake wondering where God is. What are you doing, God? Why didn't you heal? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you provide? Where were you? And then the thought maybe to just go back to fishing. Maybe I just need to go back to doing things on my own. Maybe God isn't moving anymore. Maybe he doesn't do the things he said he does in the Bible anymore. Maybe I should just go back to just being on my own. Doing things on my own. That's a choice the disciples had to make. But guess what? They decided that the safe way to live 
even though it might have been more comfortable, even it might have been what they knew, even they didn't have to wrestle with as many things, it wasn't where they wanted to be. Nothing compares to the fulfillment that's found with following Jesus Christ. When you say, I'm leaving it all behind, all my fear, all my doubt, all my attempts at control and self-sufficiency, when I leave it over there to follow you 100% with my life, you can't go wrong. And there's going to be all kinds of temptations through our lives to go back to our old way of thinking, our old mindsets, our old habits. But God's calling us to trust him in this season of life. Despite what we see, he's calling us to be willing to go back out on the water and throw the net back out in the middle of the day, even though it doesn't make any sense. He's calling us to a deeper trust and a deeper faith in him that we've ever known. That's what he's doing in us right now, church. He's building in us a perseverance of faith and trust. And we got to make a choice. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe he is who he says he is? And is this whole following him thing really worth it? I'll be the first to tell you it's hard sometimes. It's hard to trust. When life circumstances don't go your way, it's hard to dig down deep and say, God, despite what I see in the natural, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to have faith. And I'm going to follow you no matter what happens. The disciples had to follow Jesus to their own death, most of them. But man, what a ride they were on while they were there. Seeing God move and being faithful and showing up. So the, I just want to, I want to call out to you guys today. Maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself in the position the disciples were in the first time where they were unsure if Jesus even was who he said he was and they didn't even put their trust in him yet. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're watching online and that's you. You haven't fully dove in yet. You haven't fully put your trust in Jesus just to see where it would go. If that's you, I believe God's calling you to do that today. For others of you, it's been a long, dark night for a while. And you're here, and you're faithful, and you're moving forward, but it's hard. I believe God's calling you to a deeper level of trust and faith. To not let past circumstances dictate what you believe for the future, but to trust him, even though people are messy and do weird things, we still move forward. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing this song, Graves into Garden, to close the service. And I love this song. It's remembering what our life was like before Christ.
the struggles, the pain, and where we're going with Christ. What he's able to do in our life, beauty to from ashes, graves into gardens. He's able to take our past and turn it into a bright future, no matter what you've done in the past. No matter, no matter what failures you've had, no matter what, what mistakes you've made, he's able to reinstate you just like he did when Peter denied knowing Christ. He's saying, I still believe in you. You might not believe in yourself, but I still believe in you. I still want to use you. I still have a plan that's good for you. And we got to trust him with that this morning praise him, worship him, and recommit that faith and that trust to him. Let's sing this song together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.